into the Mothlight. Into the Mothlight. Hello and welcome to Into the Mothlight. This is a podcast dedicated to artists' movement image, experimental film and festivals, and installation art. Let me set the scene for you. So, I'm recording this in my studio space, somewhere outside a small village in rural Scotland. I say studio, it's a spare room, and I've only got a cheap recorder to interview people with. I guess I'd do call myself um, a moving image and installation artist, but I'm by no means an expert or authority in this practice. I have, however, a passion for this kind of work, and I'm lucky enough to know or get to meet a lot of really cool people who make work that generally comes under the banner of experimental film. So in this series, I'll be talking to artists, programmers and curators, film festival producers and anyone else I meet whose work I enjoy or who I think you'll find interesting. I'll be asking people about what inspires them, how they approach their work, highs and lows, how as artists we deal with criticism and self-doubt and anything else that comes up. For this Episode number one, I'm talking to Kerry Jones. Kerry Jones is a multimedia artist based in Scotland whose practice incorporates film, sound, archive, manipulated still image and site-specific interactions. She says her recent work comes from an interest in appropriating and deconstructing image, sound and narrative. Kerry is a good friend of mine, I love her work and I find her a really interesting individual. I met her recently and asked her at what point did she start to become aware of the moving image. Into the Mothlight. I think I wanted to sort of go back to uh, some of the films that um, my sister used to take me to when I was very, very young. So she took me to see um, Dougal and the Blue Cat, I think when I was probably about six, I suppose, very young, because that came out in 72. And um, I just remember feeling, finding that just so strange and like the impact of something that's just really odd that you don't really understand, you don't know what's going on. And then she also took me after that to see the um, Beatrice Potter um, film with the Royal Ballet, um, which I had to be taken out of because I was um, crying because I was so scared of the film. But I think that's like kind of, for me, that's like a moment when I understood like the impact of, of film, I suppose, on you and how you understand things. Um, and then growing up, um, I always used to watch a lot of film after when I was at school. I used to always come home and watch hours of um, Paul Newman and various films. Just used to be quite obsessed with watching films when I got home from school. It's weird you mentioned Dougal and the Blue Cat because, I mean, um, it's a film that I've loved for a long time. I mean, it's, it's beautifully made. Um, great soundtrack mm. is as well and when I think about that kind of style of art it, it does remind me of some of the stills work that I've seen of, of yours mm-hmm. in the past and also interesting that a lot of folk from our kind of generation or age and um, a lot of the early influences were you know Star Wars mm. and things like that so it's probably you owe a lot to your your sister yeah yeah yeah, yeah definitely I mean Sarah was quite an influence I mean you know as I got older I mean she's a 
you know, reminded me the other day that she used to take me to um, the London Filmmakers Co-op because she was an artist. When I was like 15 or 16, she would take me along to those sort of things. But the whole thing with Dougal and the Blue Cat is just kind of trying to understand what is going on, you know, and about someone, a character panicking <laughs> and not knowing themselves what's happening. And so that kind of that idea of of not understanding what's happening, I think, is quite important in in my work and perhaps what I'm interested in as well. I know that comes from all the age of being back then, but certainly um, those type of um, quite surreal films I think would be really interesting. Also, when I was in, in Hull, you know, doing my um, degree back in the um, late 80s, um, 90s, early 90s, we had a regular film club that we used to go to on Mondays and um, at the local cin- independent cinema and they used to show all sorts of films, Andy Warhol films and Vin Vendors, um, you know, my um, 2001 Ace Space Oddity, you know, there was a whole range of quite abstract, avant-garde art house films that we used to watch a lot of back then, so I think they were quite a big influence as well. And for people that are um, maybe kind of new to the, the, the moving image or, or making that, that link from maybe stills photography mm-hmm. or, or other kind of visual arts to the moving image, how important do you think it is to really... Um, sort of immerse yourself in that huge back catalogue from classics like 2001 and then a lot of the other films that maybe came from the filmmakers mm-hmm. cooperative that you can maybe see on the, the Lux player now or the mm-hmm. BFI player for example mm-hmm. yeah I think it is um, it's important I I go through um, phases I guess of watching films and then phases of just not watching anything for a long time because I think you have to have time to soak stuff up but there is obviously so much available now that you can watch if you want at a click and I think it's important to also research artists you know not only watching their work but to then research their ideas I guess and what their back their own background is and look into them beyond just what you see as a moving image for me that's really important and you know research we'd watch a lot of say Adam Curtis you know um, um, hypernormalization I also watched a lot of kind of um, maybe people talking about work probably as much as I would watch actual just films you know I, I, I definitely am quite drawn to what listening and watching people talk about their work and their influences I find that really important which is why we're talking to you today <laughs> the um, so you mentioned art school a couple of times mm-hmm. so um, how important was it for you to actually study because I know like you've, you've been obviously when you were younger and then recently mm-hmm. in, in Edinburgh so mm-hmm. an art school can sometimes knock the creativity out of people so mm-hmm. how did it work for you and what was the the appeal to actually study that way? Mm, yeah interesting well I mean you know doing a I was about 18 when I did my degree you know so that's, that's like a long time ago and perhaps not the best time to go in and, and learn you know because um, I basically just really wanted to escape from art college found it very um, claustrophobic as at, at that level and um, didn't really feel it understood me but that's probably the arrogance of an 18 art year old art student perhaps um, Although saying that, when I look back on it now, like what I was working with then is very similar to the ideas that I work with now, which is about appropriation of of um, heritage. I was very interested in um, how heritage was presented at museums, where they would kind of present, say, working in a mine as something quite um, clinical. 
But then coming back to it 20 odd years later to do an MA was, was actually really interesting, but also very challenging because you have to like um, find your way back into research or actually into writing about what you're interested in, which I found really amazing. Um, I wrote a lot about um, Mark Leckie's film um, Dream English Kid um, and the use again of appropriation there. So I think it's like, um, it's, up, it's what suits you. I like to have an intense period of time that I can um, immerse myself in ideas and books and things to watch and see what comes out of that and try and make some work from it. You mentioned your MA and I know that the piece that you did for your degree show, mm-hmm. um, you expanded it. And the last time we were in this space together was for the preview of Nobody Speak. Mm-hmm. Um, We'll put some images from that on our Twitter feed. Um, but but talk me through that work and how you did research it and build it into your uh, degree show mm-hmm. and then expand it into the exhibition you had here at Alchemy. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, when I was on my MA, I um, came across the writings of a guy called Mark Fisher and I became really interested in his writings about um, neoliberal culture and society and um, the processes of a neoliberal government if you like and how they maybe um, disseminate information to um, society and manipulate information I guess and then um, also relating that to Mark Fisher's own ideas about the internet social media how it affects us in our lives with um, maybe a lack of um, our own time that our own time has become not our own time um that leisure time perhaps doesn't really exist um so much anymore so i became really interested in these ideas of consuming information i guess and how we see it um but also about a a, a desire of the past um because i guess mark fisher talks a lot about how um maybe a generation now doesn't have a a, 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 the idea of a future perhaps doesn't exist to the way it does to our gen it did to our generation um, so in that respect, I've started using um, archive images, which I'd been using quite a lot in my work before anyway. Um, and then just really got into the idea of abstraction, I suppose, as well within the image, maybe the, which maybe represents the breakdown of an image, um, just de- re-digitalizing it over and over again and using a numerous amount of filters. So in the end, it almost becomes like an abstract piece of work, um, which... You know, I guess if you if you look at internet or consume information a lot, as I feel I do these days, I'm not sure how much of it I take in because it's so fast the way it comes to me. So I guess the work was trying to work with that. And it's mostly made with stills. So um, they may be um, still images of, of collages that I've made that I would then photograph. And um, the Nobody Speak line is from um, uh, Run the Jewels. Um, track um, it's, a, it's a, a lyric from there it's called nobody speak nobody get choked so that's where that's lifted from that's like a relevance because I'm you know, interested in music as well and I often try to have a beat that goes through my installations and my work that may um, mimic um, dance music You are listening to Into the Mothline, and in this edition, an interview with multimedia artist Kerry Jones. 
What you can hear in the background is the audio track from her latest work, Nobody Speak, described as a dismantled, manipulated audio moving and still image in a sculptural immersive installation. Kerry presented a version of this for her MA before developing it for a new audience. I asked her about how she developed the piece. When the Nobody Sweet was part of my MA show, um, it was in a completely black space. Um, and I'd become very interested in projections on black walls. Um, there was a film um, that was shown at Alchemy last year called Black Screens, I think. I might have got that wrong. But um, that talks a lot about um, how black is used within cinema and moving image to create either a segue or um, to represent a mood or an emotion or just as a a, a good trick to move from one scene to another. Um, So anyway, so when I walk into this space, which was all white and quite chipboard walls, you know, it's pretty crappy walls really, um, I just thought, well, I need to paint, I need to paint it black, you know, do some of this space black. And actually that was really interesting because it completely changes the space um, once you change the colour or the feel of it. Um, Also, it, obviously it depends on the screens that we had that were here at Alchemy. They've got a number of back projection screens that have been made from shower curtains and, and wood frames, you know, and some better screen material. So it's just a case of sort of, I just come in and just try and play around really and can take some um, advice on that or not, or just want to be <laughs> on my own doing it. Um, I also use, I have props like windows and that you know, I, I like to place within the space and just play around really. So there's a lot of moving around of, of, um, of these things that would be in the space and, and just seeing how they work. Mm-hmm. So a lot of it is experimentation, I guess, to get to an end um, installation and imagine who, what people might think when they walk in or actually not really care about what people think. Just get on with it, you mm-hmm. know. Uh-huh. I mean, that, that's, that's an issue, you know. So at what point do you consider um, a work like that finished? I mean, what, at what point do you say, right, this is this is ready for the public to come and make of it what they want? Mm. Well, I, I mean, I'm, I'm at a stage now where I don't actually think any, it's, I mean, this is maybe, it's weird, but it's ever really finished because because the work that's in that, that particular exhibition um, was if you like recycled from the last show so there was some of the film which was um film of the last installation if you like that was manipulated so it's almost like this that installation would just feed another one you know which all work feeds the next piece of work for sure um i don't really know i think you just have to stop at some point and say that's the way that's going to finish now um if there's enough in there that you want it to have I guess if it's developed enough but generally you've got to, it's got to be open at a certain time of on the Thursday <laughs> so you know with my work because it's not it's it's quite it evolves and doesn't have a, a definite a definite um pivotal or hinge point to it mm-hmm. it just it will be ready when it's ready I guess yeah and with your installations and your um, your your kind of photography and your single channel work, um, how important is what people think about the work to to you? Um, so does you know if you read the reviews or or, or get feedback or, or, or criticism from people, you know 
how do you deal with that? Mm. Yeah, I don't. I, I think it's really interesting. I mean, when when um, we had the the installation was up in the alchemy space. Um, we had a group of um, S three four came in, um, and they asked me um, what genre it was, and asked me if it was horror. <laughs> um, you know and so that and that's quite I just kind of made me laugh obviously a bit giggling I thought oh wow so I mean they found it very dark work and quite intimidating and other people have said that but then other people think what well, have said oh they just think it's kind of a bit bonkers and <laughs> wacky uh, but and then uh, it, other people say they just don't get it, get it at all mm-hmm. it's incomprehensible you know it's nonsensical doesn't make any sense um and all of that, I think, you take on board, don't you? And then I, I wonder, you know, where we purposefully push the nonsensical and the incomprehensibility more or want to develop the idea of no sense or non-narrative um, aspects of it. Um, looking back to, um, you know, abstract expressionism, perhaps, and, you know, Pollock and, and the responses that work can bring with people if they don't understand it and is that what you yeah I don't I, I wonder sometimes you just think oh god it's, it's all you know crap um should I carry on <laughs> <laughs> but on the other hand you, know, you just think well you know if it's something you just want to do and need to do um but it, yeah I I think that's an interesting question how much do you consider the audience I mm-hmm. mean I don't consider the audience when I'm making work yeah but then maybe I should but some people think you should uh-huh. it's a debate yeah and what what about because you mentioned you mentioned self doubt there, and I mm. think anyone who will be listening to this today who is involved in any kind of practice mm. is something that they're going to be always dealing with. Mm. I know that I certainly struggle with it. Mm. So how what kind of drives you through the times when you're thinking actually this is rubbish, yeah. th- th- this is not working out at all? Yeah. Um. I think one of the things I do is I go back through my my sketchbooks, my all the stuff I've written, and and I just try and try and uh, find what it is that I think or thought I was doing through whatever I've written or read, or um, I don't really draw much. I I basically write lots of notes, um, scribblings, and that kind of thing. So that that kind of helps me a bit, I think, or I just. Um, and I go and do something completely different for a, a bit. Um, but sleep on it. Sleep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> stare at in, stare at the internet for a bit. Uh, yeah, but I do find that just trying to go back over why or what the ideas were, just to uh, you know acknowledge what that you're actually doing something that you might think is interesting. You know, because I think it's always really hard, especially work like mine. It's not the easiest of things to engage with. I don't particularly think it's quite you know quite erratic quite scratchy quite um overloaded um but i think that's the appeal yeah, yeah. yeah of so course. tell me about this then so you, you mentioned music and a beat mm-hmm. that that kind of runs through your installation work and mm-hmm. i know you're like yeah, you're a dj with a big interest in music mm-hmm. and kind of um kind of background and sort of rave culture mm-hmm. um so sound is obviously really important in, in everything that you do so what 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 is the the approach to using sounds in your installation work and mm-hmm. some of the single channel stuff that you've mm-hmm. produced in the past mm-hmm. yeah um so i i have like a you know my own audio archive i guess i build up which may be just recording stuff 
off the internet um, and maybe outside your calling. So I have a, 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 a library, if you guess, of, of sounds. Um, but basically when I'm making um, film, I tend to try and stick to a, a rule which starts off with having a four beat, I guess, which is obviously the most simplest of beats to the floor not that I'm into four to the floor music at all but um, you know it's a simple it's a simple rule to start off with um, and then we'll start through Logic um, Logic Pro um, putting filters on and building that over to become um, rhythmic I guess which is can go too far because it maybe just sounds like it's uh, maybe too musical mm -hmm. but there's always a rhythm within something and I always find that and I like to have a rhythm which also is uh, mirrored in, in in the images but yeah dance music for sure I mean I you know, you know DJ pretend you know, play at that every now and then over the years um, sometimes good sometimes not but I mean obviously when you're if you DJ <laughs> the way I DJ is just to kind of you know probably scratch you through records and tread on some and um, hopefully get some on the record player or, um, or CDs and put them back in the wrong place. But I'm never a very ordered DJ, you could ask people, and they t totally agree with that. Um, so that's some, yeah, overlaying sounds, uh, mixing sounds, and putting something on that may not originally think is going to fit with mm -hmm. the other thing that you're playing, which is kind of what you come to, like, bricolage. Um, and throwing things together and seeing that shouldn't normally be with each other and seeing what the outcome is, which is um, something I'm also really interested in, um, which I think, you know, you can is is part of DJing or scratching or putting, not that I can scratch, but, you know, or putting two tunes or three tunes together, overlaying them mm -hmm. and seeing what, what sound that makes, which is the same that you might do with still images in the film, in film. You are listening to Into the Morphlight, a podcast dedicated to artists' moving image, experimental film and festivals, and installation art. Into the Morphlight. I've always loved your single channel works, mm. um, and I think scratch is quite a good, mm. uh, good word for it. Um, and I, I'm, I am always fascinated with the way that you use found footage and and then turn it into something else. So your work, yarn, for mm. example, started off as one thing and then by the time it kind of filtered through your mind, mm -hmm. it came out as something quite spectacular. So we're, and we'll, we'll try and put some stills up mm. on our, our mm. Twitter feed, but mm. talk to me about your approach for using found footage. So maybe where you get it and how mm. you choose the images and how you mm -hmm. manipulate them. Well, if you talk about yarn, so that came from a commission by the Heritage Hub um, in Hoyk um, a couple of years ago, which was to work with a 16mm um, film that they had in their archive that had no idea what was on it. Um, just wanted if I wanted to do some work with it, and it turned out to be a documentary about the um, the textile Barry, actually Barry Mill particularly, in um, Hoyk. Um, but it was very sumptuously filmed. So, you know, I just took that and manipulated it and cut it up and focused in on on some of those images but I find archive images just so interesting um, and I've worked with them for a, a good few years now mostly through community projects um, some in Gala Shields working with archive pictures from the high street um, did a project with some kids called um, Windows of the Future which was working with 100 year history of Gala Shields 
Um, so from there, I came across some of the images, particularly one that I've been using a lot in the Nobody Speak um, installation. Um, what draws me to some images is this kind of idea of generic is image, something that people of, I guess, <laughs> my, our generation um, recognise immediately, you know, Woolworths or a type of shoe mm -hmm. that maybe our dad used to wear or suits, you know, there's something, or a car, there's something that is quite comforting about these images or, and, and I'm interested in taking that comforting archive image and then putting it into something that is more of a, a digital twitch, perhaps mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. could call it. Um, so yeah, the, the use of archive has come from just my community arts work that I've done over the years. I've done a lot of projects with young kids, um, working with sound archives and, and, and picture archives um, in the Borders area. So it comes from a, a real enjoyment of those projects and trying to feed that into my film work. I mean, with Yarn, it's quite interesting because the soundtrack from that is, is actually is, um, is Fraser Watson, my partner, sort of drumming. So that isn't kind of mixed at all. That's just a straight overlay on that, on that, that particular film. Yeah, I think it's just looking at one second film of a film, perhaps, and then expanding it to become a minute, working with it that much, you know, expanding one still image that is a tiny, tiny part of an overall thing to make it repeat it, work with it, mm -hmm. um, to become more of a two minute, if you're lucky, film. <laughs> <laughs> um and what is next for you? What, what's kind of brewing mm. in the back of your mind that you're going to bring out for us to, to enjoy? <laughs> well, I don't know. Um, well, I've seen I'm busy working with the, the Youth Link project for Alchemy at the moment, so um, coordinating a lot of um, projects for young people, helping them make an installation and um, hopefully um, facilitating with Harriet Warman, who is a producer of Alchemy um, over the last two years. Um, a program of films with them for Alchemy Film Festival this year, which is really exciting. So my own work is kind of sitting in a back burner at the moment, but I'm very interested in developing um, the Nobody Speak project, um, but more looking into ideas of how to look at ideas of silence within the digital murmur, if you like, and I'm quite interested in developing the idea of digital hum and um, pixelation into kind of like murmurations of birds or that that kind of example just trying to trying to make some overlaps between um how we see things and with that kind of natural phenomena i guess i'm interested in like you know highland pipes like the Cullmore, like the high the high end of the highland pipe music you know that you know perhaps comes from bird song influence and um yeah and cultures that imitate bird song <laughs> like Bulgaria and Bulgaria there's people who can you know go through a whole rift of amazing impersonations of birds so it's just trying to work out the silence the bit when you're not in the digital world and mm -hmm. I'm trying to mix those two so I'm quite interested but also about um, abstracting things more making more nonsense I guess <laughs> <laughs> that's a good spot to leave it hey listen <laughs> Kerry thank you very much for your time it's been a pleasure thank you Jason that's brilliant thank you
Into the Mothlight is a Charles S. Bravo production. You can follow us on Twitter at the Mothlight Pod. Email your questions and comments to mothlightpodcast at gmail.com or find us on Facebook at Mothlight Podcast. Like us, rate and review us wherever you find your podcasts. This podcast isn't sponsored by anyone. Perhaps you can do something about that. Until next time, goodbye.